Hi, I'm Dan Jones. And I'm Mia Lee, and we are the editors of Modern Love at The New York Times and co-hosts of the Modern Love podcast. We read love stories for a living. And by love stories, we mean essays written by real people about all forms of human connection. We're talking about everything from first dates to funerals, from sibling rivalries to new love at 85. On our show, we're going to bring those stories to life. We'll hear from the writers and also from the people who are written about. Relationships are the most important things in our lives. And the people that tell us their stories are just so brave, like way braver than I think I am most of the time. Yeah. They're so honest and so vulnerable. And listening to the stories, I feel like you absorb so much wisdom and you get a sense that you're not alone. You can follow Modern Love wherever you get your podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. We hope you'll join us. New episodes are out every Wednesday. From the New York Times, I'm Michael Barbaro. This is The Daily. Today. For the first time in history, a private company is sending astronauts into space. Science reporter Kenneth Chang on the dawn of a new era in space travel. It's Thursday, May 28th. Ken, how many space launches have you covered in your career? I've forgotten because I started covering these at the end of the space shuttle era. So it was probably five or six then. Mm -hmm. And there's a few other scattered ones. And I've actually made more trips than that because, especially with the space shuttle, they would postpone the launches at the last second gazillion times. So I would just fly in, fly out, fly in, fly out, Mm -hmm. and not even see a launch. But if you had to guess, how many fly-ins and fly-outs have you made to try to watch a space launch? I'd say 20. (laughs) That's a lot. Yeah. And that's where you are right now. When we say fly-in, fly-out, you are in at the moment. I am in. I'm actually current in a Hampton Inn in Titusville, which is 20 minutes from the Kennedy Space Center. Mm Mm-hmm. Give me the scene there in Florida at the Kennedy Space Center. I know you're not there, but you're soon to be there. What's it look like right now? So because of the coronavirus, NASA is basically limiting the number of people there. The visitor center, where the public usually gathers for the launch, is closed. So when I go there, I'll get to watch it, but I'll be outside the whole time and with a mask and at least six feet away from all the, everyone else. So, Ken, at this point, it's about 1.20 p.m. Where are we in the countdown for today's launch? So the astronauts have put on their spacesuits. They're about ready to get in a car to drive to the launch pad. And this is part of what's really different about this launch versus what's happened in past years from the Kennedy Space Center. In the past, it was NASA operating the space shuttle and such. This time, it is a private company, one called SpaceX, that was founded by Elon Musk, the billionaire who also operates Tesla, the company that makes electric cars. So what's happening where you are in Florida on Wednesday is that a private company is putting NASA astronauts into space on a privately owned vessel. Yes, and this has never been done before. If you think there's been three countries that have sent people to space, the United States, 
the former Soviet Union and now Russia mm-hmm. and China. And now you have this small company called SpaceX, which I guess is not so small anymore, but it is now joining these big nations to do something that's really hard. Ken, when I think of the space program, I think of it as the pride and joy of the United States. And I think of it first and foremost as a federal government program, NASA. So how did we get to this point where a private company has more or less supplanted NASA in sending astronauts into space? So, of course, the beginning of space here, you think of Sputnik. Until two days ago, that sound had never been heard on this Earth. It's a report from man's farthest frontier. The Soviet Union sent a satellite up before the great and mighty United States did. The radio signal transmitted by the Soviet Sputnik, the first man-made satellite as it passed over New York earlier today. This spurred, of course, a lot of fear and worry in the United States. Is it possible that it is transmitting a code, not just a beep signal for uh, radio uh, listening? Yes, it's quite possible that it's transmitting a code. So the United States started a major space program and created NASA to do things that would counter what the Soviet unions were doing. The space age had begun. And so the first space missions, you just think of... Shepard himself had been hauled up into the helicopter. You think of Alan Shepard, the first American to reach space. John Glenn, the first American to orbit the Earth. And each of these baby steps that led to Apollo. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Roger Twain. Tranquility. And of course, Neil Armstrong walking on the surface of the moon. That's one small step for man. One giant leap for mankind. These were all events tied up in the identity of the United States as a nation. This is the greatest week in the history of the world since the creation. The world is bigger, infinitely. I only hope that all of us in government, all of us in America, we can reach for the stars just as you have reached so far from the stars. And so that was the mentality that drove the space program through the 60s into the early 70s. And then after that, It was a transition to try to figure out what to do once we've gotten to the moon, how do we get to the next step? So NASA basically came up with three options to present to President Nixon. You can go for broke, you could start planning to go to Mars, or you could build a space station and a space shuttle to go to the space station, or you could just build a space shuttle. And Nixon chose just to build the space shuttle. That was the cheapest option that he was willing to invest in. And so because the space shuttle did not have a space station to go to, it had to serve other purposes. One of them was that the military wanted to use it to launch spy satellites. Other people wanted to use it to run science experiments in orbit. Mm. And so this sort of became this pickup truck that was supposed to do all these different chores for different parts of the federal government. It ended up being a technological marvel that was not great at doing any one particular task. Mm. Eight, seven, six, five. I mean, the space shuttle, if you think about it, the launch, if you watch one, it's, it was an amazing sight. Two, one, fire command. 
you could hear the rumble as it rose up. And you could never get over just how bright the light from the engines are. It never, it never does justice to see it on a computer screen or a TV. But it didn't capture the imagination of people like going to the moon did for Apollo. Mm-hmm. Its tasks were not the grand dreams that fueled the space age. So what happens to this kind of underwhelming NASA space program that you're describing? The space shuttles were actually designed to be run almost like a commercial enterprise. They were reusable. The thought was that they could land and fly very quickly and that they would fly often enough that the cost of a mission would be fairly cheap as NASA got better and better at Mm -hmm. running the shuttles. In fact, at various points, there were actually discussions that NASA would outsource the operation of shuttles to a private company. Mm. Those didn't happen. We have main engine start, four, three, two, one, and liftoff. Liftoff of the 25th space shuttle mission, and it has cleared the tower. Because first in 1986... Throttling up, three engines now at 104%. Challenger, go at throttle up. There was a Challenger accident where the shuttle disintegrated during launch. We have a report from the flight dynamics officer that the vehicle has exploded. Flight director confirms that. We are looking at uh, checking with the recovery forces. And it killed Christy McAuliffe, the teacher who was aboard. President Reagan has declared a week of mourning for the seven astronauts five men and two women who lost their lives on their way into space this morning. And this was a huge setback, and NASA had to go back and fix the design, and then it became very careful to make sure that it was safe enough for the astronauts. And of course, once you're very careful about safety, you're safer, but that means everything costs more, everything is slower, Mm -hmm. and this pace of the space shuttle program continued. Then in 2003, there was another accident. A few minutes ago, it was about 8 o'clock, the space shuttle Columbia was going over North Texas. Columbia. It was actually on a mission conducting some science experiments. And... If you'll notice here, it looks like you can see pieces of the shuttle coming off. As it re-entered the atmosphere for landing. Some kind of objects leaving some kind of trail over the skies of North Texas. The structure of the shuttle disintegrated and the seven astronauts aboard died. And this was a turning point for NASA and the country to decide, going to space is dangerous. We are risking our astronauts' lives to do something in space. What should we be asking them to risk their lives for? Mm -hmm. And this soul-searching led to the decision that the shuttles were now too old, too complex, too dangerous to continue operating. The shuttle's chief purpose over the next several years will be to help finish assembly of the International Space Station. So that there would be a few more flights and then that it would be retired. In 2010, the space shuttle, after nearly 30 years of duty, will be retired from service. So after all these years of kind of neglecting the space shuttles and running into safety problems, the decision is not to invest more in them, but essentially to kind of walk away from the program. That's essentially what happened. 
but still, NASA needed a way to get its astronauts to and from the space station. Included in the White House's $2 billion budget is $850 million to help along commercial space ventures, like SpaceX's Falcon rocket and Dragon capsule. So when the Obama administration came in, they took a look at what NASA was doing and decided that that was an opportunity to get more commercial companies into this business of sending people to space. And what is NASA thinking at this moment as it starts to contemplate farming out travel to the space station? So the thinking of the NASA officials were, we really want to go back to the moon. We really want to go to Mars. We want to Mm. go send astronauts off on new places where they can go look at things that we have never seen before. And because too much of the budget was tied up with the space shuttle, they wanted to find some way to spend less money on what they thought were routine missions so that they could do something that was more exciting and could better justify what they were created to do. Got it. So the thinking is, let a private company do the kind of grunt work of space travel. And that would free the federal government, NASA, up to do the grand explorations. That was exactly the reason. And... NASA chose two of them that they liked and decided to fund them. One was Boeing and one was SpaceX. Mm. And, of course, NASA wanted both of these to be operational as soon as possible. It became a a sort of friendly competition. Both companies actually ended up three years behind schedule. (laughs) And at this final time, SpaceX is going to be first and Boeing is still perhaps a year behind. So SpaceX wins the competition. Yes. There actually is a flag on the space station. So on the very last space shuttle mission, the astronauts left a flag there. And whoever was going to be on the first vehicle to get to the space station would capture the flag. And so that will be SpaceX? Yes. Okay, so Ken, I know you need to go actually watch this rocket launch, so we will let you go Yes, and talk to you once the launch is done and you are off deadline. If I miss the launch, my editor is going to kill me. Because this was actually a conversation I had with my editor. (laughs) We'll be right back. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. No one else built this bold because no one else thought this big. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from RootMetrics 2H 2020 US report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not endorsement. We want to make that call because shortly after that, we will begin loading liquid oxygen onto the second stage. Stand by. continue to violate a couple different weather rules that we now do not expect to clear in time to allow for a launch today. we go ahead and end today's launch attempt. Launch control. Go ahead and the launch auto sequence and proceed into the launch abort auto sequence, please. Launch abort has started. 
and Dragon SpaceX, unfortunately, um, we are not going to launch today. You are go for 5.100 launch scrub. We've heard the call from the crew. They have been informed. Launch director. Michael so, Ken, it's nearly 7 p.m. and things did not quite go as planned. What actually just happened down there in Florida? So, through the whole day, the weather looked really icky. It was raining, it was cloudy. And then, about an hour before liftoff time, the rain started cleared up, the clouds started thinning out. And it looked like for a while that they were going to actually be able to get the rocket off the launch pad. Mm-hmm. But then at the very end, it was about 15 minutes before the liftoff time, the weather officer said, we're still red for launch. They called off the launch and they're going to try again on Saturday. So no launch on Wednesday, but perhaps a launch over the weekend. Yes. So I want to talk about, can this private company that... I guess, almost just put American astronauts into space, SpaceX. I mean, what was it about this company that attracted NASA to it and allowed it to get this coveted contract? So SpaceX was this upstart, small company, was very ambitious, and they found ways to do rockets and such that was less expensive and faster than many of the bigger companies in the past. Mm-hmm. And I always described them for the longest time as the Southwest of the rocket business, Southwest <laughs> Airlines. They found efficiencies that other companies did not that has allowed them to find new markets and find ways to do things that weren't a business model before because it's too expensive and too slow in the past. What are some examples, Ken, of ways that they inexpensively innovated and seemed to save a lot of money on this kind of a launch? So in the very beginning, their engineering decisions were often driven by how things could be done efficiently. And this could be as simple as recycling parts of the rockets. Mm -hmm. So if you've ever watched a rocket launch, the bottom part of the rocket, which is the first stage or booster stage, is the part that lifts up the rocket through the thick bottom part of the atmosphere. And it usually just drops away when it's done after a few minutes. Right. And for the longest time, this piece would just fall back into the ocean and be lost. Right. And that sounds like a pretty expensive thing to just toss off into the ocean. It's a very expensive thing. Just each engine would be several million dollars. Wow. So one of the things that from the very beginning Elon wanted to do was we should try to use them again. And for a while, when they were trying to land these boosters, they would just crash in a boat. And there was these fantastic explosions as, as the thing almost landed. And then finally they succeeded. They actually managed to land this booster back on the ground at Cape Canaveral. And then now they do this almost routinely. So for every SpaceX launch, you watch it go up, you see the booster drop off, and about 10 minutes after it launches, you see it land vertically, almost like like those rockets in those 1950s science fiction movies. Wow. And it's, it's amazing. This is where SpaceX went from being the Southwest Airlines to a true innovator in this Mm. field. So, Ken, how much, in the end, does it feel like SpaceX 
has saved in terms of cost from what NASA might have paid to put someone into space a decade ago? So the clearest comparison that we have is that before SpaceX came along, NASA had a plan to develop its own rocket and capsule for taking astronauts to the space station. Mm -hmm. And when that program was canceled, the estimated cost to do this would have been at least $20 billion. Wow. Now, SpaceX is, has a contract with NASA basically to provide the exact same service. So all the development costs plus providing some of the actual launches for $2.6 billion. Wow. So a fraction of that $20 billion. Yes. Saving that much money would seem like a tremendous boon for NASA, for the federal government, for the American taxpayer. Does anyone at NASA worry that something fundamental is lost when a private company that is ultimately a business that's interested in making profit is running a launch like this? I think they're most excited about what the rocket does as opposed to who builds it and who operates it. Hmm. I always remember the Saturn V rocket from the Apollo missions in the 60s, the most impressive thing that's flown to date. However, it wasn't because it was so big, it's because it went to the moon. That's why we remember it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily matter whose rocket goes to the space station or ultimately takes people to the moon and beyond. It's that these systems, if they work well, they enable NASA and other agencies to go explore the solar system in new ways that we weren't able to do before. Hmm. Ken, is this ultimately a positive development that you're describing here? That the privatization of space exploration, which I guess at first blush seems like something people might be worried about, is it turning out that this is a very natural evolution of a process that began with the government creating a market, taking these serious risks, and opening it up to a more efficient private company, and that that's a pretty good progression? So if we go back in history, think of an example where this has happened before. And that is the airplane. So in the very earliest days, there was various people building different types of airplane, but there's no real business for doing it. Mm -hmm. It is when the government decided to start sending airmail that it created a business where people could start airlines to carry the mail. Mm. And that's led to this wonderful air travel system that we have in the United States around the world today. So if we follow that logic, eventually private space travel could be a vast network that many companies enter and perhaps many civilians use, just like civilian aircraft. So once it's no longer just NASA astronauts going to space, there's all sorts of new possibilities that open up. So if you have a commercial space station, it has nothing to do with NASA, that could be filled with millionaire space tourists to spend a couple of weeks in space. Could also be a pharmaceutical company that wants to try out new drugs that can only be made in zero gravity. 
So once there is a market of going to space that doesn't involve the government, then everyone else can start thinking of how can I get up there too? How mm -hmm. can I make money up there? So when SpaceX does pull off this launch, maybe it's in a couple of days, you're saying it's not really just putting two astronauts into space on a private aircraft. It's, it's truly launching a new era in the space program. And it's, I guess, the private era of space travel. Yes, and it's coming sooner than you realize. There's a company out there doing it right now it's called Axiom Space. They have a contract with SpaceX. They have an agreement with NASA to use part of the space station for these tourists. And this could be launching as soon as the second half of next year. Hmm. So Ken, everything that you're describing is very exciting, but it occurs to me that it's also somewhat conditional. I mean, what happens if, now that it's delayed on Saturday, on Sunday, whenever this launch occurs, what happens if it fails? What happens if it goes badly? Is everything you're describing then in doubt? It's certainly pushed into the future and delayed. Is it such a setback that everyone says, this was a bad idea, we give up, we need to go back to the way things were? I don't think so. Space is still a very hard business, no matter whether it's SpaceX or NASA or someone else running these programs. There is a risk to whoever's riding on top of that rocket every time it launches. Everyone who's down there watching is nervous. They always go, I hope this is not a bad day. Mm -hmm. Because they realize it could be a bad day. And I don't think that one bad day means we never go back to space. Well, Ken, good luck. I hope that you do get a launch in the next few days. And we'll check in with you after that. Great. Thank you very much. We'll be right back. With no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, banking with Capital One is like the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Kind of like choosing to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with our top-rated app, you can deposit checks and transfer money anytime, anywhere, making Capital One an even easier decision. That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. Here's what else you need to know today. On Wednesday, just four months after the first case of the coronavirus was confirmed in the U.S., the American death toll reached 100,000, according to The Times, more than any other nation in the world. The virus has now claimed more American lives than the U.S. wars in Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan combined. Most statisticians say that the actual death toll is probably much higher, given how few Americans have ever been tested. 
So far, the virus has infected more than 1.7 million Americans. That's it for The Daily. I'm Michael Barbaro. See you tomorrow. You're still running your business on QuickBooks? More like quicksand. The bigger your company grows, the faster you sync with outdated software. NetSuite by Oracle is the scalable solution to run all key back office operations, no matter how big your company grows. 93% of surveyed organizations increase visibility and control since making the switch from QuickBooks to NetSuite. Right now, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind financing program. Head to netsuite.com daily. That's special financing at netsuite.com slash daily. netsuite.com slash daily.